Hey, how's it going? It's the Hook Better Leads Podcast. I'm Tim Brown. I'm here today with Ashley Roloff. Did I say that right? Yes, you did. Um, how are you doing, Ashley? I'm good. Thank you. Um, Ashley works at SVL Inc. And she also has a HVAC marketing consulting and services company called Nerd Herd. Yes. Um, check them out. Uh, today, we're talking about the biggest HVAC marketing mistakes. And we're going to kind of, we're going to go through it because Ashley's seen it all. She's seen the people that do, are doing it really well. She's part of a team that's doing it very well. And then she's also seen what it's like when you're not quite hitting on all cylinders. Um, so what is the first question uh, that HVAC companies should be asking before they get into their marketing? Like what, what, should they, what should you do before you go hard on marketing? Yeah, that's a great question and often one that gets missed by um, HVAC manufacturers or reps is really dialing into who is it that your customer who, who is it that your customer is and really knowing um, the, all the ins and outs about them. So their pain points. Um, this is called uh, identifying your ideal customer and doing this work is so important because as you're laying that foundation, it allows you to create deliverables for that specific customer from a place of need rather than a place of inspiration. Mm. I love that. And, you know, you kind of mentioned before we started here of like psychographics. So let's introduce this idea of psychographics to people. What is, what are the types of psychographics that an HVAC company, obviously we've got the, the obvious ones, which is like commercial you know, commercial and we're selling to companies or we're selling to homeowners. So that's one, but then we dive a little bit deeper. What are those things that people could have different about their psychographics? Yeah, so a big differentiator, especially in the HVAC world is who are you selling to? Are you in the B2B market or are you in the B2C market? So um, if you're a rep firm, you're most likely in the B2B market. You're selling to other professionals who are also in the business industry and the B2C market would be mostly selling to individuals who are direct consumers. So that would be like a service tech or potentially a contractor in some certain stances. And um, the psychographics that we talk about when we're trying to evaluate um, who our ideal customer is, is really diving into um, questions like what are the pain points? What are the things that make them tick? So oftentimes, mm. People will say, oh, psychographics or, you know, what are the demographics of your customer? And they'll be talking about things like where do they shop or um, how many kids do they have or are they married? And all those questions are great questions, but they're so surface level. But when you can dig that extra layer deep and you can look at what are the things that keep them up at night, then you can start creating marketing from the position of what are the needs that we need to be filling as marketers and as business owners to address the problems that they have. And that's when you get the really juicy marketing. Mm -hmm. I love it. So yeah, it's funny. I always ask this, like when we kick off on a content calendar with clients, it's like, I ask, it is surface level a little bit, but it does matter. Like where are they at on the income scale? Cause like, like we have like the high end, like we're talking about, um, 
the commercial contract, you know, commercial contractor stuff, and they're talking to people that are making 500k and up and up, up sometimes, and then you've got homeowners, or it is different if you're selling to somebody household income is 150k versus 500. Like that's a pretty big shift. Like, are we? It's kind of the, are we selling on value or are we selling on how price sensitive are they? And so like. Right. does quality would they rather pay twice as much for 20 percent more quality because there are people out there like that that would do that and um so just like understanding where they're at in certain ways like how they're gonna play to price is gonna it's gonna change right. um you mentioned Absolutely. yeah vanilla marketing versus customer focus could you could i get you to dive into What's the difference between vanilla marketing versus customer focused? Yeah. So a lot of times when I see businesses jump into marketing and they're new to marketing or they're, um, they have their first marketing hire, um, like I was with our company um, four and a half years ago before I started with SVL, um, oftentimes um, the management team is like, hey, we need someone to do marketing. We see the value here, but we don't know where to start. So here's our customer base. It includes engineers, contractors, and owners do marketing. Um, and then from that standpoint, you start making marketing that just talks about your products in general. And I like to call that vanilla marketing because you're not actually talking to one specific customer. You're just giving them blanket statements about your products or your benefits. And all of that is great. And that's a, that's a really good first place to start. But once you have um, a marketing team or you work with someone like myself to do some consulting and some strategy planning, then from that standpoint, you can dive into what is it that this specific customer wants. And then you can start segmenting your customers. So rather than sending an email blast, for example, to all of your contacts, you can say, I'm going to send this email blast and I'm going to send it only to contractors and we're going to focus on price sensitivity at a certain income bracket because we know that they're going to respond to that better so that when they get that email, they're able to open it and look at it and say, wow, this resonates with me. Mm. This company understands who I am as a customer. And that's where you get the value. So I'd say the mistake there, if we're talking mistakes, would be not segmenting your audience, mm -hmm. just sending out these broad-based, hit the entire email list with... Uh, with uh, the same message. Right, another good example and, that we're doing for, um, for one of our products for boilers is we know that there's a rebate that's going on in St. Paul. So we're purposely targeting buildings that have the capacity to take advantage of that rebate that are high level business owners or facility managers and being able to send just that targeted message to them. So you're giving them the most relevant information. Uh, you also had mentioned um, focusing on pain points. So I'd say one of the things could be like not you know, mistake, not focusing on immediacy and pain points. And I think email is a place to play and pay pain points. Every, every copywriting thing that you do is a little bit, of, you got to hit them with the pain. You got to remind them of why they're here. You got to remind them of the missed opportunity if they don't take advantage like that's why there's those tickers with you know we're not going to do that with a lot of emails per se but you know the ticker with time counting down to the last day you could get that rebate or whatever um 
the opportunity is there to lead a little bit with pain. The truth is without some pain, people don't get off their butts. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so you kind of have to use that and mix that in with your copywriting a bit. And I'd say it doesn't always have to be nasty or negative. It's just ultimately recognizing there's stakes to every story, right? Like a good story has, there's a possible negative feature and there's a possible positive feature. And if you know your customer, you can really speak to pain that they already have. That's kind of where it gets to. It's not to try to like bring out pain that doesn't exist. It's to speak to the pain that they already have. Yeah. Another way to rephrase it too, is looking at the wants and needs of the customers. Cause if we look at, okay, what is marketing at the end of the day, like we're all marketers and the essence of marketing is fulfilling customers' wants and needs. And how you can find those wants and needs and fulfill them is by looking at what is where are the gaps and what is it that they're specifically looking for so that mm -hmm. you can come to, um, to service for them and say, you know, I have a solution for this thing that I already know that you have a problem with or mm -hmm. that you're trying to solve. I love that. And getting to the next mistake, let's say it's not having specific offers. So how can we get better, more specific offers? I think one of the things you need to do is look at, um, first you start with your audience segmentation and look at who your customers are. And then from there you can identify what are the products within that specific ideal audience that you're selling most often. And mm. from that standpoint, you can see, okay, is this something that I wanna to continue to promote? Or is there a gap or an opportunity for me to further advance one of those offerings? Because maybe it's something that we haven't been marketing or that we haven't had um, enough strategy around figuring out how do we take this to market. Um, for us, one mm -hmm. of those opportunities is boilers and hydronics. Those are still new to um, our company and we have a ton of campaigns that we're going to be doing in the next couple months to really evaluate how do we bring hydronics to our customers so that they can take advantage of all of the product offerings we have from those manufacturers. Uh, great point. So I also just want to kind of counterpoint to that real quick, the note of like, if something's lucrative to you, keep hitting it, keep hitting it, right? Like, I think that that is something as like an outside company. I, when I come in to a company, sometimes I, I talk with them and they're really bright eyed and excited about this new service offering. And um, I have to be kind of remind them like, so what percentage of your revenue was on this, you know, 80% and we're going to spend we're going to spend 80% of our time trying to promote this 20% new product offering. So just kind of like that reminder that don't neglect the, the cash cows, you know what I mean? And I think there's a good blend of that because there's like, if you've already sold those people on the cash cows, like to advance customer lifetime value, to give them the additional benefit item um, is really important as well. So just kind of like giving that secondary perspective there too. And I think, what is that saying? Um, the grass grows where you water it. Well, if your grass yes. is already growing, you don't necessarily need to water it. You need to trim it, yep. and make sure that it looks yep. good and, um, you yeah. know, make sure it's in a sunny area. And that's kind of like what you're talking to about like your big mm -hmm. cash cow item. Like if you have something and it's already working for you, 
continue to pour efforts into that, but you don't mm -hmm. necessarily need to dump all of your efforts into that. That's from the yeah. standpoint where you can start to kind of identify, you know, what other opportunities could we look yeah. into, um, but also not to neglect, you know, that main source of income that you have. Hey, basic question here, but I think some people are thinking it. Should HVAC companies actually spend time on social media? Should should you get your team as well to be part of that? Or is that kind of like a diversion? Yeah, that's a really good question. So this is something that comes up quite a bit. Um, as our customer base continues to get younger and only is going to get younger, you need to go where the people are. And LinkedIn is a great opportunity for that. It's the best ongoing B2B business conversation. And if you're not there, you're missing out. You're missing out on those conversations and not only with your, your team and promoting your products, but also your customers. So I've had a big presence on LinkedIn over the past couple months and have encouraged our company to um, spruce up their LinkedIn pro portfolios. Um, your LinkedIn profile is basically like a little mini website for yourself. And so you wanna make sure that you're setting that best foot forward. Um, and then not only using LinkedIn from the standpoint of um, liking stuff or updating your profile, it's no longer just a resume tool. It truly isn't. Um, LinkedIn has made some updates to their algorithm over the past couple of years, and it is more of a social platform now. And so being able to take advantage of that and to interact with your customers on there and connect with them and making sure that as they're posting stuff that you're engaging with them only helps you to be able to strengthen that relationship especially now in a way where we haven't been able to over the past year um, with the lack of being in person and having some of those face-to-face -face interactions like we used to. And apparently only 5% of people on LinkedIn post. So that's why when you post on LinkedIn, like you have to connect with people. Like I tell people, if you're really going to go hard on LinkedIn, you got to connect. Like I connect with, I max out my connections a couple times a week. Mm -hmm. it's, part, it's always part of the game of just like, you got to connect or else the, none of what we're saying will matter. But when you post, if you provide value to your ideal customer on there, on personal profiles, that's something I see people doing. They're really good at the, the professional, the company profile. But then if you can leverage a few people on their personal and then post back and forth to the company a little bit, people just, they like connecting with people. So on p personal profiles, your top, you know, Sales people, the people that care enough this, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's hard to get some. It's hard to get some people to want to care about this. But five percent, if only five percent of people are posting, you just your posts go so much further as far as the reach. I think that that's partly why there's just such an not easy. It is one of the easier social media places to get traction right now, basically. Yeah, and I think you especially by TikTok, and I have tried. And <laughs> personally, I love TikTok. I really like TikTok. I bet you there will be a couple big winners on the HVAC TikTok at some point. Maybe there already are some, um, but yeah, if I could TikTok, I would. But LinkedIn is easier. Yeah, and I think you made a good to point too, just about like reach in general. Um, there was a stat that I posted a couple weeks ago, and it said like. If employees at a company share their LinkedIn post, it has 10 times the reach of just that company's post, that original post. Mm. So it's like, okay, if you're a business owner or if you are a branch manager or somebody who is in charge of your new business development for your company, 
it's going to be extremely important for you to get everyone on your team on board with sharing that information that your company profile is producing. That way you can extend that reach even further. Mm, and that's how you That's grow. great. Yeah, the whole social networking is, it's like a spider web. And the more yeah. tentacles and feelers you can get out there, um, the more expansive your reach gets. It's so good. So I'd say the mistake there for kind of boiling that down is not involving your top people and their personal profiles in your social media strategy. Yes, yes. Get your team engaged. Join in the conversation. Love it. Okay, so... I kind of want to like just go into experimental territory with you. We talked a lot about mistakes. So now I want to go into your ideal scenarios. Like if you had an H, you know, let's say you joined up with a 30 person HVAC team and you get to do whatever you want. You get to do content, video, social media. What would be your ideal scenario? What would you roll out? Let's say it's a green pasture. It's a good market. The sales is already kind of popping, but you're trying to get the actual marketing to play a, a bigger role and expand. And you want to, you want to go to 50 in the next year or two. Um, what are the types of activities that you would focus as kind of like primary activities? What are the biggest buckets that you'd spend money and time on? Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, right now, um, a big, big, big trend is video. And you don't have to spend tens of thousands of dollars for a video. Um, You can do it for half that cost. My team works with several other rep firms and agencies all over um, the United States um, to help them develop those videos. And it's something that can be done really quick. It can be turned around within, you know, two weeks. Um, And it's something that when you put it out on social media or on your website, it's extremely engaging. So you're able to take what maybe one salesperson could do by themselves in like a one-to-one lunch and learn. And you're able to expand that and blow that up and reach so many people. Um, Quick note on that. I like to say, scale your best closer. Yes. Scale your best. So, so it's, if if this person's not that great, you know, if they're okay, Mm -hmm. it's just okay at scale. So scale your best closer. Sometimes that's here. Sometimes that's a couple of top reps, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Another point would be to, if you're not on social media, get on social media. It's essentially free advertising and it allows you another platform other than your website to push out content. And the beautiful thing about social media is a lot of us have experienced email fatigue. Um, I can't tell you how many times I came in on a Monday morning and you just swipe, swipe, swipe to get rid of all of your junk emails that you know have came in. Um, And it's just information overload. But social media is different because it allows the user, so our customers, to decide when they're going to digest that information that we're putting out. And they get to choose who they're wanting to follow and who they're wanting to interact with. And so when people start following you on social media or your business profiles, or they're interacting with the content you're putting out, you can, you can have the confidence that those are individuals who are highly engaged and Mm -hmm. who care about the content that you're putting out. And then it's not like you're putting out email blast after email blast and it's falling on dead ears, but you can have more of a two-way conversation. Absolutely. I love that. And I, I always push people when they're, we're talking about social to just 
can you do five or 10% more entertaining content, not just informational content? Because it's like once you toy, like if you're not super into social media yet, and you know, perhaps you are, maybe we're talking to people that have tried things. You see how the dog posts do better. You see how the jokes do better. You see how the memes do better. So just recognize like trying to do five to 10% more of that because that's kind of why people do. I, whenever I accidentally, you know, I get on my phone, I'm like, I'm not thinking, I'm usually hoping for dopamine. Mm-hmm. And I want, I want something like, I'm usually trying to turn off my brain a little bit. So if you can co-opt that and be part of the entertainment factor, I think it helps. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think it's just putting the social back into social. And sometimes when people first get into marketing on social media, it's like, I'm going to push out all this content, but then they lose like the, the um, pieces that help you build that authentic connection with your customers. And so even if mm-hmm. it's like, a corporate post about like, Hey, we're having a, um, grill out this Friday. And here's a picture of our employees engaging, having fun. Um, that allows you to then take the content pieces that are highlighting your employees and are showing your culture at the company. And it's lighthearted. It checks all those boxes for, you know, is this content that people actually engage with and care about and more lighthearted and not just information overload. Yeah, so much of the the actual like likes and comments on company profiles are the people's friends and family. And there is something to that. Like, hey, you're struggling to find, you know, technicians. You're struggling. <laughs> I mean, if you just those little things with culture, it makes it a lot easier to get good employees when it's time. Like mm-hmm. people about that people want to work somewhere it's weird like if you're an old school owner i'm guessing you're probably not listening to this or watching this but if you're an old school owner hey this is standard now people are are expecting to work at a place that gives a a bit of a shit Mm -hmm. about their people and making the culture fun that's that's new that's newish from what i hear from the first the last 10 to 20 years we really you know millennials and millennials are up to like what 38 now or something. Um, that's not like kids anymore. We care about culture. I'm sure you probably know that. And I think that this is just an easy way to scale that feel out on out into the world. Right. Yeah, we're doing an interesting promotion for our parts department. And um, I'm really excited to see how this turns out because we're combining Um, content and putting information about the products that we represent and that we're promoting for that week. But then we're also tying in a trivia question to that too, um, which Mm. trivia question allows for engagement on the comments. Um, We're going to be giving away like Yeti cups or buck knives. um, And so they get something out of it, but then we're also promoting our products and pushing our sales and creating that visibility for items and manufacturers on our line card that maybe not everyone knows that we have. Brilliant. Questions are huge. I like the giveaway strategy. Anything else that you've seen just like nuts and bolts, social media stuff that has worked well for you and your team? Yeah, we touched on it a little bit before, but making sure that you're segmenting your customers and putting them into an email client program like Mm. Constant Contact or MailChimp because then it allows you to automate some of that process. 
Um, even better bonus points if you can hook that up to your website so that that happens automatically and through that automation piece. Um, yes. You can then create more efficient processes. So that would be one thing too, is as you're growing your marketing and, and your, your sales for your company um, and just the bodies, think about what of the things that we're doing can be automated. And from that standpoint, then you're not looking at adding in extra bodies and adding in overhead and benefits and all of that and salary, but you're mm -hmm. looking at what programs do we need to invest in to make it easier for our customers to do business with us and for us to connect with our customers. Um, so that would be That's a great. big thing. And if you have That's huge. Yeah. And there's so many things like all the basic email clients now, like even MailChimp allows you to do those drip campaigns. If you put somebody in a bucket and then you get the three, nine, 12 day afterward, like follow-ups and value adds, you don't have to make these emails super um, designed or crazy. Like actually, I think the best ones are a little bit light and almost feel like they're from a sales rep that's just following up. Yes. And there's an opportunity there it does come down to writing. There needs to be a good, I think copywriting is such a big thing. If you want to push into anything that's going to help your marketing and you're a marketing person or a owner at an HVAC company, copywriting goes into all of this, right? Copywriting goes into social, copywriting goes into email. Um, but yeah, the, those drip campaigns, every single email client has them now. And, and yeah, that's huge. I, I think that it's, uh, it is not necessarily super easy to do well. I mean, it's, it's certainly a, it's a, a discipline. It's a real, uh, it's a, it's extremely valuable and potentially you just tap a copywriter that, that knows what the heck they're doing. Cause it's like such a big, such a big piece to what can, um, scale out brand, the, the feel of your company to, to prospects? Yeah. So sometimes um, if you have a copywriter on staff, who's a little bit more of a novice, um, what we'll do is we'll just have them write out the content and then go seek out a salesperson on the team. Because then when that salesperson reviews it, you're getting the information from them as if they're walking the walk and talking the talk. So sometimes what I'll do is I will sit down with the salesperson and just grab my phone and record them and say, tell me a little bit about this product. Talk to me about like the products and the features. And then I can record what they're saying and put that into a marketing piece. And I sound like I'm talking just like our sales team would talk. So you don't sound like you're coming from a marketing standpoint and you can talk, the yeah. and walk the walk with the customers. That's amazing. I love that strategy. Okay. So this is a lot. This is very rich with some very specific tactics. I think for folks out there, we not only covered the biggest HVAC marketing mistakes, we gave you some really big opportunities that people can go after. So Thank you for joining us, Ashley. Um, so you're at SVL Inc. and NerdHerd. Can you give the URLs for both of those? So, and maybe if you want to do a little pitch, feel free. Yeah, absolutely. So you can find me at nerdherdpro.com. That's N-E-R-D-H-E-R-D-P-R-O.com. Um, I also work over at SVL. We are a local manufacturer's rep in Roseville, Minnesota. 
I mean, if you have any questions on how to grow your marketing team or want to set up a strategy call with me, please feel free to reach out and I'd be happy to talk with you about your marketing goals. Awesome. This was amazing. Thank you so much. And it's the Hook Better Leads podcast, hookagency.com and hookagency all over social. And join us next week. Bye.